grace to you this morning and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Grace to you and peace this morning from him who has loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen and amen. If you'd look with me this morning to the Gospel of John chapter 4. <clears throat> We're going to be reading quite a lengthy amount of scripture. I had originally intended to be preaching out of uh, Psalm 42 and Matthew chapter 5. But as I was preparing that, I found something in John chapter 4 that jumped into my heart, blessed my heart, blessed my mind, blessed my day, and has blessed me for quite some time now. Uh, after I had given Mark these, these particular scriptures to give to you. We're reading, and we're going to be reading quite a bit. We're going to actually start in, in verse 5, but Jesus has just left Judea, and he's departed again from Galilee. He's left there, and then he's came to a town in, of Samaria. He's near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph, and Joseph's well was there. And so Jesus wearied, I think this is verse 5, or no, verse 6, Jacob's well was there in chapter 4. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which of course you know is noon. A woman from Samaria, that would be a peculiar time for her to be coming to the well, came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying that. I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship, those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or what are you why are you talking with her? And so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do, not, do you not say there are yet four months, then come the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The word of the Lord. Let he who has an ear hear this morning. Our Father in heaven, I do pray that you would grant me grace this day to give your word to your people. That you would grant truth to proceed from my mouth, from my heart. And that this truth would set people free. That it would enlighten eyes, that it would open hearts, that it would open ears. That it would awaken people to the task that is before them, to the task that you started and send your, are sending your people out to do. And Lord, make us hunger and thirst after this, for this living water. I pray that you would just lift up Christ in this, that Father, you would be glorified, Christ would be lifted up for who he is, and that the Holy Spirit would not be quenched, but that we, each and every one of us, would know his presence in our hearts and in our minds. May our hearts be touched, may our minds be renewed, so that we are less and less conformed to this world and more and more transformed to the image that we have been recreated in, the image of our God in true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, that we might be as light shining in darkness, Make your word a living word this day. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The key verse, I think, that will help us to interpret not everything, but see everything that we've read more clearly is found in verse 10. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The three persons of the Godhead are seen here in the expressions, the gift of God. Who is it that's given the gift? It is the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
The Father from all eternity has sent the Son. So the gift of God shows us the love of the Father. This living water that the Lord Jesus speaks of, it is the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 7, if you want to look there very quickly, verse 37, Jesus on the last day of the feast stands up in the midst of the people, the great day, and he cried out. <laughs> Take note of cried out. He called attention to himself and he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And now this he spoke, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. And so the living water that is spoken of here is the Holy Spirit. And the speaker, of course, is the Son of God. Jesus has just said to the woman at the well, when she spoke of, we know that the, the fact that the Messiah will come and he will tell us all things. And Jesus says, I am he. Before Abraham was I am. Now, I was originally going to speak to you about thirsting after righteousness. Thus, Mark had Psalm uh, 42, verses 1 through 2 in Isaiah. I mean, Matthew chapter 5, where the scripture says, Blessed are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And in, in Psalm 42, the psalmist is talking about, uh, as he speaks of a passion that is in him when he says, as the deer panteth for the water brook, longs for the water brook, thirst after water brook, so my soul longeth after thee. My soul thirst for the living God. When shall I come, he says, and appear before the living God? And there was a passion in these particular verses, in this verse, especially 42.1, that the psalmist is speaking of. And this text that we are now reading is a part of that teaching that I was going to do. Because I came to a point that in the preparation of the sermon that I was doing with respect to 42, 1 and 2 in, Psalm, in, the Psalm, in the Psalms, I came to a point where I was asking myself the question, why is it that we don't thirst with a passion? Why is it that we do not cry out after the living God and thirst for fellowship and communion with Christ like a man who is dying for thirst, like a man who is, has his tongue cleaving to the roof of his mouth for want of moisture, cleaving there to the degree that he feels like it's swelling and he feels like he cannot get air unless he gets a drink and quenches that parched mouth that, and relieves the swelling in that tongue? Why is it that many of us don't thirst after God and after fellowship and communion with Christ, communion with the Father and the, and the Holy Spirit in such a way? And as I was asking that, I think I found the answer to it in verse 10 of this chapter because chapter 4 was going to be a part of what I was going to be preaching about thirsting after righteousness. That's what it was actually going to be about. I found the answer here in verse 10. Well, Christ says, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. If you knew who this is, if you knew him, you would have asked him. You would ask him for water, for a drink, and he would give you living water. 
If we knew the gift of God, if we knew who it is that is speaking, then we would thirst. If we understood who God is to the degree that Christ is speaking of right here, then we would want to know more of him. There are many truths that we consider as true. I heard somebody talking about this the other day, and they used this analogy. They, we understand them to be true, and they're such a part of our church life that we've kind of put them back here, and they don't make too much difference in our life. For instance, we believe that the earth is round. We don't believe that it's flat anymore, right? But the fact that the, and it's a, it's a fact. We know it to be true. We know that the earth is, is round, but it doesn't make any difference in our life, really. It doesn't, the fact that the world is round doesn't uh, determine what color pants we wear or what we put on today or what we eat or what we don't eat or what we do or what we don't do. And the same is true of so many things concerning God. The fact that he is all-knowing, all-seeing, and always present with us doesn't always make a difference in our life. It's a truth that we believe, and we say, yes, it's true, and we've always believed it, but we don't live in such a way that, that it makes a difference in what we wear, what we don't wear, what we say, what we don't say, how we act on the job and how we don't act on the job, how we approach life that he is actually present, that he is actually seeing what's going on in our life. And so the lack of a knowledge of who he is is a reason for why we don't thirst for more of him. We're not thirsty for communion with him. We get up in the morning, maybe and spend a few minutes in the word, maybe a few minutes in prayer, off to work, eight hours there, then back at home, and we have to exercise, and we have to do the work around the house, and we have, to, we have to do the cooking, we have to do the cleaning, we have to do all the things that we have to do, and then we have to sit down for just a few minutes at least, right? And just plop our feet up in our recliners and relax and watch a little, chill, have some chill-out time in front of the television, and before we know it, it's time to go to bed, and how much time have we spent in communion with God? How much time have we spent drinking at the well of salvation that we read, of, read about in Isaiah chapter 12? It hasn't made a difference who he is. And Jesus has said, and I think if we could see who he is more clearly and what he has done more clearly, if it would shine more brightly in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds, then it would make us hunger and thirst for more of him. More of him. I would like to know more of him. But I, this is all on the negative side. As I was looking at this verse here and saw that it was because we don't know, that we don't thirst, I see something on the other side of the coin, so to speak, if you'll let me say something like that. I'm looking at this verse and what Jesus is doing here, what God the Father, God the Holy Spirit is doing here, and I see the mercy, I see the grace, the compassion, and the kindness. I see the love of God, which encompasses this mercy, grace, compassion, and kindness, and peace. I see the love of God shining vividly, shining forth brightly in this verse where Jesus is saying, if you knew the gift of God 
And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink? You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Here, my friends, is Christ speaking. But here we have, as I've already said, the love of the Father, the love of the Son, and the love of the Holy Spirit shining forth. Love to the chief of sinners, man like Paul, right? A murderer of the church. The love of the chief of sinners. Love that seeks and saves that which is lost. That's what Jesus speaks of himself of. He speaks of himself in Luke chapter 19 as he looks up the sycamore tree and he sees Zacchaeus staying there and he stand, climbed up there so we could get a look at the Messiah. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down from there, son. I'm going to have supper at your house tonight. And Zacchaeus was saved as a result of Christ's intervention right there, as a result of the love of God, which we're going to look at a little more clear, a little more in just a few minutes. And Jesus speaks of himself there as him who, when he spoke about salvation, coming to the house of Zacchaeus, he said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. I've come here for that very purpose. And it's a kind of love it's every word that we see right here contains the love of God. It's love that's given to us, a love that, that enters our heart, that no wind, no rain, no flood, no drought, no fire, no storm of any kind, no fiery furnace, no lion's den. It's that kind of, it's a love that none of those things can quench. It's a love that surpasses understanding. It's a love, as according to Paul in Philippians chapter 4, that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The love of God, which gives us the peace of God, which is a gift of God, guards our hearts and minds in the Lord Jesus Christ. We look over here and we look at this woman's life. We look at Zacchaeus' life and other lives and we see sin abounding. But this is such a love that it brings with it omnipotent grace. So where sin abounds, omnipotent grace abounds, omnipotent love abounds the more. That's the kind of love it is. And we see here, I saw, and we can see together, the interest which our God takes in the individual soul. That's important to me because I've been thinking in terms of lots of folks. <laughs> you spend years and you just have a soul here or maybe a soul there that seems to be thirsty or a soul over here, a soul here and there. And so, though I see my Master, I see my Lord, I see God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit showing interest in the individual soul here. There were thousands saved at Pentecost and that's something different. But what we find here is the Godhead stooping down to care for one person. Do you see it? One solitary soul who is such a sinner that even among the Samaritans, she doesn't come to the well at the same time everybody else comes to the well. Have you ever seen that? Jesus is seated there the sixth hour of the day, which is noontime. It's very hot. And usually... The time that people gather water at the well is early in the morning and late at evening. Why did she go there by herself? Because of the kind of woman that she was. Because she was a sinner who has had five husbands, and everybody knows it, 
And the one that she has now is not her husband. And so she comes to the well, shamefully guilty, but she still has to have water. But there's someone sitting there. The Godhead stoops down to care for one person, for one solitary soul. And it's the good shepherd who's seeking the stray sheep, the sheep that's gone astray. He goes after it. He picks it up and he carries it home on his shoulders. That's what he does here. And we see something else. We see the way that God meets with a sinner as we look at God meeting with her. He deals with the sinner as he deals with her alone and face to face. God speaks to the sinner and the sinner speaks to God. There's always, always must be this very close personal dealing, this individual question between man and God about man's soul and eternity. It's got to be settled about who God is and what man is apart from God. That has to be settled between God and man. And it's not settled in a crowd. But he confronts each and every one of us individually and alone, face to face with God. It's not through someone else's intervention. It may be a friend. Some people would say it would be the intervention of the priest or it would be the intervention of the church. No, it's not. It's between God and the man, God and the woman, God and the child. It is direct from God and it is alone, face to face again with God. And I see something else here. <laughs> the time, place, and circumstances of this meeting is seen here. What is that time and place? What is the circumstance? Any place, any day, any hour will do. Any hour. It's not the set time of the morning or evening service, but any time will do. Any time whatsoever. And any place will do. Not just the church house, not just the closet. The church house is important. The closet is important. But it's not just there. It may be a whale site. Like's happening here. It may be a sycamore tree as it was with Zacchaeus. It may be a tax gatherer's office as it was with Matthew. It may be a boat. Any time and any place will do for Jesus. His grace is not bound to the inside of church walls. It's not tied to ceremonies. And it, it is not limited to hours. It's not limited to 1045 to 12. It is not, my friends, it is not. His grace is not bound by these walls, is not limited there. Samaria, Jericho, Jerusalem, they're all the same to him. 
Just read the history. And think about what I'm saying as you read the life of Christ and read the life of Paul. Think about that. The church house, the highway, the hillside, the beach by the seaside, the house, the boat, and even the graveyard. Find him in the graveyard. Talking to what? An individual. What's your name? Legions. Face to face with Christ. We know who you are, the Son of God. Face to face, right there in the graveyard. These are all alike to him. They're all alike to his grace. So you can trust him that when you get the opportunity to share his gospel, to share Christ, that his grace will be sufficient for you wherever you're at, at the graveyard, at the funeral home, in the house, in this church, wherever you're at, in the marketplace, in the workplace, wherever you're at, sharing Christ. He meets us as individuals in all these places. In all of them. It may be cutting up potatoes at the sink. He'll meet you there. And we might think that this meeting was by chance. Well, let me just suggest to you that there's no such thing as chance. Chance is nothing. It is no thing. It's not real. It's something made up. And so this meeting wasn't by chance. In God's eternal purpose, and I'm not real sure I understand what eternal purpose is because I'm not eternal in the sense I, I had a beginning. Now I'm going to be forever from now on, however long that's going to be, if we can even put long in, as, a, as a word to uh, describe that. I don't think we can. So I can say I don't really understand eternal purpose, but I know there was an eternal purpose because God is eternal. And in his eternal purpose, this day, this hour, this place, this woman, and this well had been fixed upon. He had hired his eye upon this place, this woman, this time from all eternity. It didn't just happen. Paul's heart rings with joy as he talks about that in Ephesians, as he gives an introduction and he starts talking to the people. And you find it in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Listen to me. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we might be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as Son, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to his purpose, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace by which we've been accepted in the beloved. Do you hear that? Before the foundation of the world, this woman was looked at and she is known and she is going to be made holy and blameless before him and she has been predestined for an, to, one of, to be adopted as one of God's children and it's according to the purpose of God's will to the praise of his glorious grace. What a glorious God we say. <laughs> what a wonder it is. And it wasn't dependent as he looked down through the ages upon, I wonder what this lady's going to do. I wonder if she'll accept me. Well, maybe she will. And so, okay, we'll try it. No, it was a sure thing. 
Because God had seen it, God had called it forth, and God had said, it will be. I will send my son, and I'm sending him here for this purpose. And so as a result, now we have he who was born in the fullness of time. We have the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. We have the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We have him coming on the scene to fulfill the Father's will, to accomplish his purpose every jot and tittle. Every one that you have given me, Father, I'll not lose a one. I haven't lost a one. Every one that you've sent me to, they're mine and they'll keep them forever. He's here. Christ is seeking, as we look at him, looking at this woman, talking to this woman, he's seeking one of those that the Father had given him. It wasn't the woman seeking Christ. <laughs> you think she started this thing? No. But it was Christ seeking the woman. She came for one thing, he gave another. She seeks the earthly. He gives the heavenly. Wow. She didn't know him, and she didn't care for him. She probably didn't like him because he was a Jew. And she knew that Jews didn't like Samaritans. And it really puzzled her when he asked her, being a woman and being a Samaritan, for a drink. And what really puzzled her probably more than anything is that this guy was willing to drink out of the cup that she was going to offer him because all the Jews knew that the Samaritan cups and everything about them was unclean. She didn't like this guy. But, don't you love the word but in the word of God? <laughs> he knew her. He cared for her before the foundations of the world. In spite of sin, in spite of unbelief and hard-heartedness, he draws near to her. Lays hold of her. And wins her to himself. As we're going to see. And then after all this. He rests in this. Our Lord was weary. We see that, do we not? In John 4, again, verse 6. Jacob 12 was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey was sitting beside the well, sitting there at noon. And after all this is finished, he's found his rest. He found his rest in doing what he was doing. And that's the question that I want to present. Do we find our rest where he found his? He was hungry. He was thirsty. But here, in this, he found both meat and drink. He found food. Do we satisfy, is the question, our hunger? Do we quench our thirst where he did? Where was that? It was in the doing of the Father's will. It was in the saving of the lost one. Saving of the lost one, doing the Father's will, was to him rest, meat, and drink. 
Get the picture. He's talked to the woman. And she's gone away. And the disciples have come back. And she is in such excitement that she's never drawn any water from the well. You know, she left her jar there. <laughs> and went back to tell everybody else, look, I've met somebody who's told me everything I've ever done. Can this be the Christ? And everybody was going out to see this man. And then we find the disciples came back. They were kind of marveling at the fact that he was talking to a woman, talking to a Samaritan woman, but nobody said anything. And she's gone away, and she's left her jar. And the, the disciples begin to say to Jesus, you find it in verse 31, Rabbi, you need to eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. You don't know about it yet. Do you know about it? That you don't know about. And so they begin to reason among themselves. And says, well, has anybody brought him anything to eat? I don't see any breadcrumbs lying around anywhere. I know he hasn't had anything to drink because here's that woman's jar. It's not even wet. It hasn't been in the well. So what in the world is he talking about? What can, he, what can he be making reference to? And then he says this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's my food. That's my meat. That's my drink. That's the reason. That's, I'm doing what I'm doing. That's why I'm here. That's my meat and drink. And so I ask you, is this where we find our rest? Is this our meat? Is this our drink? Is this our food? Is this what we're about? To do the will who, of Him who sent our Lord and to do the will of Him who came and gave His life a ransom for many and that bought us out of death into life, out of darkness into light and who's given us life. Do we hunger and thirst for this? Is are we weary in our well-doing? Are we caution? Don't grow weary in your well-doing. He was weary. His body was weary. His mind was weary. It was hot. But here was what he was all about. And I find four thoughts here. We find the gift of God mentioned here. And we find the one who brought it. We see the ignorance of man concerning both. And we see God's way of giving this gift. God has more gifts than one. Christ is a gift. His Holy Spirit is a gift. Eternal life, faith is a gift. Peace is a gift. The grace of God is a gift. And these gifts are often sp spoken of together. They join together. For instance, in Him, Christ, who is a gift, we have eternal life, which is a gift. They're together. Jesus says, I am, that is He, the life. And so we have these joined together. And I think we can take the words in verse 10 and look at them like this. Like Jesus was saying, if you knew God's gift of eternal life in me, I, the one that is now asking for water, you would have asked me, 
And I would have given you the Holy Spirit who is the living water through whom the eternal life is poured into every dead soul. The gift of God, it is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, John speaking of it again, and he says, and this is the record, or this is the testimony, like both of them, this is the record that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Verse 12, and whoever has the son has life and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. The one who brought this life is the very one who said, give me a drink. This weary, hungry, Thirsty, dusty Jew is the bringer of this glorious gift, this wonderful gift of life. In him is life. The scripture says all the fullness of life dwells in him. This Jesus, this is the question, who do you say that I am? What do others say that I am? This Jesus, a man like us, sin accepted, come in the likeness of sinful flesh, has come down from the Father that we might have life. And he speaks to you as an individual this day. You alone are face to face with God this day. You, I go on record on for judgment day that you this day are face to face with God. So, I ask you, could it be brought any closer to us? Could it be any more within our reach than it is in Him? Could it, be, could it get any closer? But man is ignorant of it. This woman didn't know the gift. She didn't know the bringer. She didn't know or have any idea of its value. She didn't even know her need. Her need for him. The life that now is, she knew all about. But not the life that is to come. The water from Jacob's well, she wanted that but not the water from the well of salvation that we read about in Isaiah 12 earlier. Hadn't thought about it, the eternal well. And you know what this is, this woman is? This woman is a picture of every man everywhere on the face of this earth without Christ. He doesn't know God. He doesn't know the love of God. He doesn't know the gift of God. And he doesn't know the Son of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 with me, if you would, right quickly. See, we read so many things and, and we forget. And that's why the Scriptures always encourages us over and over, remember from whence you come. Remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. But all men, apart from Christ, 
are like this. Verse 1 of chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Read verse 3 with me. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest, like the rest of mankind. And then in verse 12 of that same chapter, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's the state that this woman was in and that every man, woman, and child on the face of this earth is in apart from Christ. They don't know God, the gift of God, the love of God the Christ of God, the gifts of God. But we see God's way of giving this gift here. John 4 again, he says, if you would have asked, he would have given. <laughs> wow. That's all it is to it. If you had known who I am, who it is that says to you, if you would have asked, he would have given. That's it. How simple. How near, very, very, very near it is. How, it's free living water. The Son of God gives us living water. And that is the Holy Spirit as we've seen in John 7 verse 39 a little bit earlier. It is in communicating with Christ that we receive what we need. We encounter Him. We see Him. Our eyes are open to Him. And we see what He's done, what He's doing, what He know from the Holy Spirit what He's going to do. And we thirst for more. We get a taste of this living water. I challenge you, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not just when you've, something good has just happened and you've sold something and made $100,000 on it. It's really easy to say then, God is good. But when you're in the lion's den and Nebuchadnezzar's after you and you smell the smoke and feel the heat from the furnace before you ever get close to it, I want to tell you something, friends. God is still good. He's not out there just to do what we want, something we consider he should do, and then we say, oh, he's good. Isn't he good? Oh, he's always good, brothers and sisters. Even in the lowest moment of your life, in the lowest moment of my life, God was good. He didn't cast me off. In the lowest moment of Peter's life, in the lowest moment of David's life, at that lowest moment when we were in the pit of despair, when we were in the slew of despond, we all the enemies, death, hell, the grave, Satan, and all his imps has got a hold of you and you can't even look up. And Christ grabs a hold of you and he pulls you out of it, out of the mire, 
out of the darkness into the light, into the life. And you go, blessed be the Lord God who only doeth wondrous things. Blessed be his holy name forever and forever who only doeth wondrous things. I went into that pit because I thought I could never go there. And God brought me out. He never let go of me. Not even for a minute. Not ever. It's communication with Christ that we receive what we need in that communication. It's close at hand. We're welcome. We are welcomed here to have it from the hands of the Son of God. That's what I see. If you would have asked me, if you had known who I am, and if you would have asked me, I would have given you to drink from something that's living. The living water he pours into us is at once it's, he does it without berating us. He does it without tongue lashings. Ask and you shall receive. Come to me, everybody who thirsts. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come, says Isaiah. Isaiah 55, 1. Drink from this well of salvation. Read Isaiah 12 again when you go home and think about the things that I'm saying to you here this morning. And I'm closing with this. There's something in the words, if you knew, chapter 4, verse 10. If you knew the gift of God, it's the same as you find in Luke chapter 19. Same word as Jesus is speaking toward Jerusalem. And he says, before he weeps, I would that you, even you, had known. If you only knew the things that make for peace. If you had known. You know what? This is, uh, this is the picture of our Savior yearning over and reaching out to the needy, to the thirsty. Oh, and he's saying, oh, that you would come to me for the living water. This, my friends, is just one out of many texts that are often quoted and often preached on many texts such as, for God so loved the world. Texts like, come unto me, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. Text like, it's a faithful saying that God came into the world to save sinners among whom I am chief. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Any of these might be enough to win, I think, the heart of any man, but when you put them all together, like we've just done this morning, how much more do we have? Christ 
supped with sinners. And that was what the Pharisees didn't like about him. I can't help but go to, I think it's Luke 19 where Zacchaeus is found. Let's, let's just look there. I said I was going to close. I'm sorry. Zacchaeus was a tax gatherer, and we find in verse 7 of 19, after Jesus had called to Zacchaeus, and he said, well, let's start with verse 5. And when Jesus came to this place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry now and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried. <laughs> and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled the church folks. He was, he's gone into the, to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. <laughs> yeah. And Zacchaeus said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. He was known as a son of Abraham before the foundations of the world. Jesus come to get him before he says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why I'm here. This is my meat. This is my bread. This is my drink. His enemies. The Pharisees preached the gospel. His very enemies. When they said something, in Luke chapter 15, verse 2. Look there. And then he gives the parable of, after he says this, after he, they say this, he gives them a parable. Starting with verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners, and he eats with them. Exactly. Exactly. <coughs> and so he gave them the parable. He gave them the parable of a shepherd that I referenced to just a minute ago. And he says at the end of that parable, I'll tell you something, there's going to be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Then he gives another parable of the lost coin. Where the woman searches her house, sweeps it over and over, and she rejoices. He says, she tells everybody to rejoice with me for I've found the coin that I have lost. And in verse 10, Jesus says, and just like this, I'm going to tell you something. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Somebody told me something today when I was born again in Herman Park in Houston. He said to me, and I'll never forget it, do you know something that's going on in heaven right now? I said, no, sir. He said, all the angels in heaven above are rejoicing today because a soul has been saved. <coughs> For the will and the purpose, the eternal purpose of God has been fulfilled by Christ, by the Holy Spirit in the life of this man. And then he gives the parable of the prodigal son. And you could go on and on and on with these things. And so, I'd encourage you. I had a man ask me just the other day, I was talking with him on the phone. He's, I've been talking to him for about five years now. 
Went over to Centerville and preached at his house some. How do you know when you're called? I said, you're always called, brother. There's never a day, a moment, a minute in your life that you're not called. Well, it's to preach, he said. And I said, well, that's always too. You don't have to be behind the pulpit. You don't have to be inside the church walls. But what happens to you is you become like that woman, and that's what I became. I went to town, to Pineland, Texas, and I said, I want you to know a man. I want you to hear a man that I have heard, that I have known, and that is in my heart, and he's told me everything. He's shown me so much. He's given me life. I want you to know. You can't contain it. You go everywhere. You're like the man that was saved in the graveyard. Remember, he wanted to go with Christ, to follow him. Christ said, no, you go out and you go on back home and you tell everybody what the, what the Lord has done for you. That's like that guy who'd been released from the demons. And I was. He went back and he told everybody the wonderful, glorious things that Jesus had done for him. Pray your heart would be stirred by what your master has done, by the fact that he speaks to you as an individual face to face this day. That's how much he loves you. That is what he's come to do. That you can commune with him. Not just sing a song, but commune with him. Not just say some words and prayers. We want to pray, but commune with him. Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. May God give you ears to hear this day and hearts to receive. Myself also. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we bow before you. And we see here A word that is cast about so loosely, two of them as a matter of fact. And, but we see the reality of that word. We see something awesome. Majestic and wonderful and glorious. That you loved us. That you sought us out. And that you came to us. That you suffered death that we could live that you sit down with us wherever we're at and that you're refreshed when we draw near to you. Lord, we cast about the word love so easily. It's become so common. But may we have a new perspective of that word this day. May it Ring in our ears clear. May there be no uncertain sound of what love means when we see the love of the Father giving the Son and the love of the Son coming and giving His life and the love of the Holy Spirit coming from the Father through the Son to abide in this shell, this house of clay. When we are struck with the fact that we were dead, but now we live because of your great love, with which you loved us. Thank you so much. Receive our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.